Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Laura, and if there's one Christmas song I could kick to the curb, it would be Happy Xmas, War is Over. My apologies to John Lennon and all of his loyal fans, but this is not an appropriate setting of the Christmas mood. I'm Jen, and for me, it's the one about the hippopotamus. It's not only terrible, it's catchy, so it's hard to get out of your head. Well, in the last episode, Laura talked us through a festive finish to the year with great steps for both reflection and preparation, along with appreciating people well as the year draws to a close. In this episode, we want to continue the conversation on the finish line. You've heard it said that you should start something the way you mean to finish it, but we think it's equally true you should finish something the way you mean to start whatever is coming next. It's time to talk about finishing forward. Let's go. First of all, Laura, I cannot go any further without saying kudos to your solo episode. It was fantastic, and I loved hearing your thoughts on not only setting goals, but taking the time to reflect them on the, at the end of the year. How did you feel about talking to yourself? Talking to myself is not an unusual thing, so it felt very normal. <laughs> Having said that, podcasting by myself was totally weird, and I have a lot more respect for <laughs> podcasters that do a solo gig. Holy moly. Yeah, well, you did a great job, and I know there were a couple spots where you were trying to envision me laughing and responding, and I want you to know that as I listened to it, I definitely was walking around the neighborhood with my AirPods and laughing and wishing that I could respond in real time. But I think you did a really good job setting up this conversation, and especially because it is the end of the year, and so in some ways we want to have some fun with the fact that it is uh, the Christmas season. It's a festive time of year. There is plenty of opportunity and encouragement for reflection, even in some of the Christmas songs we don't enjoy. But today we're going to take it back into a little bit. Um, hopefully it'll still be festive and fun, but into this idea of as we're finishing something, whether it's a year, a calendar year, or finishing a project or a job, or even things like, just to get everybody's brain going, maybe it's shifting roles within the same organization, but it's still, there's a finish line and then a start line. And we wanna talk about how the finishing process sets the tone for how we start the next chapter. And so to start this off, we're gonna talk about finishing well in preparation to hand things off and move on. Laura, what comes to mind for you first in that realm? 
Well, I think let's go with the version of the adage, do unto others. And the big thing that stands mm. out to me is that when you're finishing something because you're moving on, it's important that you leave things behind the way that you would like to receive them. Um, said differently, if you're moving on, get things organized, plan a transition, think about how to position things so that the person replacing you or coming in behind you has the opportunity to clearly understand the current status of things mm -hmm. that they're picking up. And that's not to suggest that you leave behind the, you have to do it just like this, this is exactly how I did it, unless you are in auditing or accounting and it, and that is truly important, right? But, yeah. um, so it's not so much to put handcuffs on, as much as it is, frankly, a courtesy to hand something off cleanly. Plus, I think there's no better gift you can give and no better reflection of a good person than making a conscious effort to set a successor up for success. You do not want to be the person who walks away with the mental image of people will see no one could do this as well as I did. Encourage mm -hmm. you that the best way to leave on a high note and for people to think well of you is actually to set your successor up so that things look good and the organization does not skip a beat. And practically speaking, that can look like a couple different things. I mean, some of it's just the the checklists and the notes you leave behind. So somebody doesn't have to wonder how you did it. And even if they're going to do it separately, you taking the time to give people a, here's how I did this. Here's where I ordered. Here were my resources for this. Here's who I called first in this situation is such a gift. Sometimes though, it's even the really surface level practical, Laura, I'm thinking about years and years ago, I was leaving um, the church where I was on staff and as an associate getting ready to go plant the, the church that we're in now. And I remember having Clark come with me and paint the office. It was horrific. I mean, it was like, you know, when you are selling a house and leaving and this office had been terrible the whole time it had been mine to occupy. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to do this for the next person. And I want to feel like this is something I can do so that they can walk in day one and feel like they have a neat and ready space. And so I dragged my husband up to the office before my last week and we painted. So I think that's really good. And again, it's much more practical in the, here's how things worked and here's how I did things. But even just the courtesy of making space, which actually takes me to the next thing that I think of as a key in finishing well to hand off and move on is to consistently think bigger than yourself. And what I mean by that is that you can't leave a process that can only be done by you. So just like you were saying, you know, don't leave something where people might then go, oh gosh, you know, nobody can do it like so-and-so did. And if only they were here, you know, create processes as you leave so that you know you're not the single point of failure, that somebody else is going to be able to take it and not only take it, but then be able to adapt it. So you didn't build something and then go, oh, yeah, this is how I did it. But really, you have to function just like me in order for that to work. Or you have to be able to you know, have the exact same skill sets that I do or the tendencies or whatever it is. And so this one's not specific to leaving, but I think especially when you're finishing something and getting ready to move on, remember that it's all bigger than you. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I think that goes back, there's research that goes back decades and decades on that, right? I mean, we could even be nerds and point to the Demaic principles of, of sustainability. If you really did a good job setting a process and putting a plan in place, it mm -hmm. sustains beyond you. And you should have already tested that anyway. So really important principles. Jen, let's get to a different one where I think this is one where I struggle. When you're moving on, the whole principle of letting other things go and mm. not carrying forward with you work um, or activity from a previous project or role. I think this one's really hard, especially because like to me, part of leaving something well is the note card that says, wish you the best, here's my phone number if you have questions, right? Like I have really trouble separating the I'm available if you have questions from the I can't take my old with me because in order for me to finish well and start fresh I need to let go so that I have both the mental and physical capacity to fully commit to the new thing in front of me yeah and I think that one's especially true internally when it's not like you left a job or anything else so you are still there and so the temptation and ease with which you can reinsert yourself into a conversation or a department or whatever it is that you were supposed to move on from. Like you were part of that division and now you're part of another division and they need your best energy, not the fact that you can't get your brain away from the old. And so I think that's a really important one to highlight. And I think then if we flip that from a positive lens in some ways, being able to say, okay, let stuff go, leave some things behind because you need to move forward, but make sure in doing so that you take the lessons with you that are going to be really helpful and make you successful in your new task. And so in some ways, again, Laura and I like checklists and spreadsheets. Laura makes them neater than I do, but we both like, you know, to put things in a list. And I think you have in some ways the checklist of here's what I'm letting go here's what I'm taking with me. Here's what I'm dropping. Here's what I'm picking up. I think that's a really good way to think about it, Jen, and to be deliberate about it. Because what you just spoke to is the very, very deliberate nature of handling it, right? Like even mm -hmm. right now, I think to myself, and this is a danger. Most of our listeners know that I've been with the same organization for literally over two decades. And part of the danger of having never actually changed organizations is carrying work forward is very natural and almost unavoidable. And that might sound like I'm making excuses, but it's really, really difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have moments where I go, wait, why am I doing this? This was three jobs ago. And for some reason, I'm still sitting here doing it today. And then I realize sometimes that's your own sense of self-preservation that you need to challenge. Hey, yeah. if I have breadcrumbs everywhere, I, I'm, I'm so firmly entrenched here, no one can stop me, right? Or it's some pride. You know what? I can't hand this off to somebody. I need, you know, no one can do it like I did it. So I would encourage everybody in the process of creating the deliberate list to also be, be really good about checking yourself. And some of that may include once you go to something new, doing reflective exercises on what did I do this past week? And not only referencing some of our older podcasts, is it about how I spent my time minding versus making and spending my time well, but it's also what was I doing that I just plain old shouldn't be doing anymore. And there needs to be a better plan for the organization. But I think the point that you've brought up very well, and I put a little twist on is be deliberate and intentional 
and reflective about what you're doing with your time and how some of that is tied into letting things go appropriately. Yeah, that's really helpful. And there's one more piece I want you to talk about, Laura, before we walk away from this segment. And it's something that you brought up as we were talking about this ahead of time and working through what these pieces look like. And you brought up the idea of a, a lot of times and maybe even more so than a clean finish and a start, which is what a lot of we just the things we just talked about really fit into a category of when something's a clean finish and a clean start. You brought up the nuance of more often than not, there's a shift and not necessarily a finish. So either you're leaving something that's not done that someone else needs to pick up where you left off or you're shifting into something that's already in process and you need to pick up where someone else left off. And so really quickly, Laura, I want you to share where you were going with that because I think that's really important too. Well, and I think this is big on more than anything when you're starting the new thing, right? Like we all pick things up and leave things behind. And while it's important to leave things behind well, we're not always gonna leave them behind finished. And that needs to be okay. So mm -hmm. then whether you're the person who's stepping in or the person stepping out, what you need to think about now really to me is found in two things. First, it's okay to do things differently and you need to leave room for someone to do things a new way or for you to come in and do things a new way, right? So there is room to do things new and differently. And that needs to be okay to some level, except where, like I said earlier, like, you know, there's some places where there are things like compliance and documentation where there's just no room to work. But that's not what we're getting out here, right? We're really getting it work process, even the tone you set for how you do work. I'm a manager or a leader, I really should say, that uses a lot of humor and even a little bit more casual atmosphere to lead. So that might shock you since I talk about spreadsheets and task lists so much, right? But while I'm very deliberate about here's the to-do list, here's the task list, who's going to do what? I've also cracked like 15 jokes in that meeting to keep things light and to keep perspective on what we're trying to do, right? That's mm -hmm. how I do things. The next person in that may not be their go-to. Maybe they're more of the, we're gonna get this done faster, more efficiently. I'm gonna win hearts and minds by going quickly, right? Like everybody has a different style and there needs to be room for style differences. So that's the first kind of thing I would point to in that shift, um, in that shift, right? Leave room for different leadership styles and preferences and even different ways of doing work to be enveloped into what's happening. The other thing I wanna say is that when you are shifting into something new or you're leaving something behind, stay focused on fixing problems, not preferences. So when you get into something new, it could be really easy to start getting obsessive about all the things you want to change and getting buried in all the change. Not only you personally, because it takes a lot of leadership energy to bring about change, but you start to exhaust those around you by instilling a lot of change immediately. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important, and I would encourage, this is a post-it note moment, stick the post-it on your <laughs> monitor or wherever you stick the reminder post-its that says, fix problems, not preferences. There will be plenty of time to go through the, hey, I'd rather do the morning meeting at 10 instead of nine. I'm not quite the morning person. 
But mm-hmm. there's not a lot of time to say, I've got 40% attendance at the morning meeting. I need to deal with the fact that butts need to be in seats so we can solve problems, right? So I really think that that's such an important thing because you need to um, meter out your leadership energy very carefully because of what you're about to expend. Preferences, let them alone. Problems, prioritize them. A lot of P's there. I got my alliteration in for the week. (laughs) I love it. And I do want everybody to know, I mean, these are things we talk about because they're so practical and applicable. And I really wanted you to highlight that, Laura, because after we had that conversation in preparing this, I took that directly to my team because we just had a shift in our team and it coincided with the busiest time of the year. And the person who picked up the pieces from the person who had left right away was running into the, oh my gosh, like they're just so different from me. This isn't how I would necessarily do some of this communication. And to be able to name the fact that great, perfect, but that is a preference. And right now that needs to go on hold. We've got to function through this busy season, through the projects that we're in the middle of. There will be opportunities in the future to start to adapt more strategically to things that aren't functional changes, they're preferential changes. And so I really wanted everybody to hear that because I know I already used it. So that was a big win and I'm grateful for that. And so we just hit some big pieces in terms of finishing well, leaving things behind, the things that we take with us, how we think bigger than ourselves. We're gonna be back in our second segment to talk about some of the rest and refuel that happens in the transition. But first, some real talk. Welcome to Real Talk. And I'm just gonna say it, we're gonna get a little uncomfortable today because we are going to talk about (laughs) finances in Real Talk today. Some of that is related to the organization you're in, but it might get a little personal. So just buckle up, take a deep breath, a swig of your holiday latte, it's gonna be okay. (laughs) But what Jen and I wanna take a few minutes to talk about today is the financial finish to the year and the practicality there, in particular, as it relates to nonprofit organizations and how they approach the end of year. Jen, this is a really foreign area to me, so I'm gonna let you go ahead and make everybody uncomfortable all on your own, and then I'll Chandler Bigness and try to make everybody feel better at the end, okay? (laughs) Perfect, yes. It does not get any more real than talking about money, and it's not any of our favorite topics, really, to dig into, and yet it's so big. And, you know, whether you're for-profit and non-profit, and Laura and I have definitely discussed the fact that the financial conversations we're having here as we close the year are radically different. And instead of trying to talk through both of those, Laura is giving me an opportunity to talk about the nonprofit side, because whether you run a nonprofit or not, you probably have some nonprofits that you love. And so hopefully you can see that too. But here's what I want to bring to the table is that from a standpoint of finishing and starting in the nonprofit world, you know how important December is. We all wish that giving to our organizations would happen year round in smooth and even ways that would make our accountants happy so that they can delineate you know, the budgets more carefully. But we all know that I don't care if, you're, if your nonprofit is puppies or a church, you're gonna get most of your money in December. We have massive years of history that show that because people are just 
thinking about it. It's a giving time of year. And so giving is happening in December, but too many times we end up, if we're not careful, making December the make or break where it's a scrambling to the finish. This is what we have to get in in order to make things work. Whereas the shift that I feel like I've really been able to grab hold of, and I'm so fortunate that I'm part of an organization with leaders and advisors and a board that has structured itself so deliberately in this, in this way, is that our December giving is entirely meant to set up the new year. In other words, it is our goal every year to have met our operational budget in terms of what we need and giving by the end of November so that everything we receive, and even as we start to cast vision and encourage and invite the people who are part of our organization or love our organization to give, we wanna be looking forward. We don't wanna be sweating to a finish line. We wanna be going, how can this moment, how can this finish be the thing that creates the margin and propels us from the very beginning of the new year? So very practically speaking for us, that means we try to have January's budget um, by the end of December. And that means that we start the year a month ahead. So that plays out different organizationally for people, but that's where I see such a direct parallel between the finish and the start. And now, Laura, let me throw it back to you. I think the same could be true from a personal finance standpoint. Well, I think it is. And this is the point where maybe a little bit uncomfortable we say, you know, end the year in a way that sets you up to start a new, a good new year, right? Like, I don't know how to say it any more bluntly, but this is probably the not subtle moment to remind everybody that this is an opportunity to put yourself into a position where when you start the new year, you're not dreading the bills that are coming that you yeah. wish you want the money you wish you wouldn't have spent in December to maybe feel really positive as you go to do your taxes about some choices you made about nonprofit giving at the end of the year. So we're not trying to lecture anybody here, but I think we're here to give the really not so subtle reminder to everybody to focus on what Christmas and the holidays are about and to make some really good financial decisions at this point in the year that set you up for the new year right. And that might even mean paying ahead of a bill or two if you can and if you're in a position to do something like that i know not everybody's in that position but what's the one thing even if it's a 50 dollars electric bill that you could work ahead of so you have a pleasant surprise in january about what's coming instead of being concerned about the envelopes you're about to open so it's a real comfortable financial real talk and jen <laughs> i do want to ask you one more question though so as i get personal about spending habits and asking everybody to just you know be smart. Remember that you want to feel good about how you turn the calendar for next year. Um, I would like to also just say that I think it's good to hear from you and for all of us to understand how important it is, not only, and you didn't say this, to be thinking about how you donate and give to nonprofits as you enter this season, but also to remember that as we all get concerned in January about where the funding comes from and how to pay our bills, there's a lot of nonprofits out there that are starting up a new year. And just because the season of generosity is over in theory, it's a great time to let them know there's still love beyond the holidays. And we'd encourage everybody to think about how you can give on to others as it were in the new year. Absolutely. I 
I appreciate that and I second it. So y'all so grateful to be part of this giving season with everybody. That's some real talk. We are back and we are ready to talk now about approaching the festive finish line and that rest and relaxation part that comes with it. So I want to talk about how we can be really intentional about how we rest and refuel, especially at this time of year, when in many cases we get the slight pause and the opportunity to do so. Um, and Jen, this is fun. I mean, I'm just going to call it, you're one of the worst rest and refuelers I know. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm calling you out on it right now. Um, so I so I just totally can't wait to hear you give advice on to others <laughs> because it's going to be fabulous. So I'm being, I'm being mean. We all know that this is not a particularly strong suit of mine. So what we're going to do here is talk about intentional ways to rest and refuel and use it not only as a way to give some ideas to others, but also to drive some personal accountability about how we go about some things the next few year, few years. I meant yes. a few weeks, but you know what? few years is probably appropriate there as well. So we'll take that <laughs> slip and roll with it. So Jen, talk to me. Like insight number one on rest and refuel, what are you telling yourself and our listeners? Okay, so first of all, I will receive what you what you shared fully in the fact that I, I'm not good at this. So this is definitely a, you know, do what I say, not as I do, and yet I'm trying. And so I'm going to go to one that I actually admittedly heard years ago at a conference. At the time, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so good. I'm writing it down. I'm putting it on a Post-it, you know, and I have come back to it again and again and again because I still haven't managed to do it well. However, I think it's incredibly, incredibly on point. And here's what it was, that if you work with your hands, you need to rest with your mind. And if you work with your mind, you need to rest with your hands. And I think that makes so much sense because our temptation a lot of times is to do this kind of passive rest where rest is just the absence of activity. But we all know that when you do nothing for a day, maybe you have to drive somewhere. So you were in the car all day, you are far more exhausted at the end of that. Or maybe you did do a Netflix binge and I am not against the occasional Netflix binge, but at the end of it, you kind of go, oh gosh, like I came, I laid on the couch all day, but I'm not sure that I'm rested. And it's because we miss the fact that rest is not passive. Rest is in itself an endeavor and it, in many ways, it's counterintuitive because you need re you need to rest differently than how you work. Does that make sense, Laura? I think it makes a whole lot of sense to go about things that way. And I particularly like what you just said about rest being active because even the Netflix binge, there's an active choice there. What are you gonna watch? Um, how are you going to posture that watching, right? Like this, if it's truly something you're doing to rest, put your phone down and don't multitask through it. Yeah. Or if it's something you're truly doing to rest, maybe it's a good time to watch something funny instead of something terrorizing. Though I realize for some people, the terror <laughs> movie is actually really entertaining. So that's a personal statement, right? But the point would be not to overthink it. I certainly don't want to waste rest by overthinking how we go about resting, but to make some active choices about how you're doing that. I actually find this on a micro level a lot 
even on like a weeknight when it's time to do a little of that mini rest and refuel before the next work day. And I sit down maybe with the intent of watching a television show that I know eases my mind, gives me a little physical rest, just chill out a little bit. And I realized that as I've sat there, I've gone through the bills, I've been on my phone, right? Like we all know what the list is, right? I've mm -hmm. started organizing the coffee table and dusting, whatever the case may be, right? I didn't honestly let myself have the rest. I mean, just stupid, And mm -hmm. but it's so real. So I think this point is being really active about that. And I love, so let's get, that's like the idea about being intentional about the kind of like, if you work with your hands, rest with your mind and that version. I really get into this whole, if you work with your mind, rest with your hands, because there's so many things you can do here that are actually really fun and creative and different. And maybe I feel that way because I'm a work with the minder. So the thought of resting with my hands gets me so excited. Now we all know, because I mention it every three episodes that for an example of this for me is doing Legos. I play with Legos and do puzzles constantly because it helps me take a deep breath and recalibrate exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. But I think there's other versions of that too when you have this more elongated intentional rest time that could be, for example, taking time to do that craft project. Um, maybe you've wanted to learn to sew the quilt, or if you're a guy, um, maybe you're thinking about woodworking and I shouldn't be sexist about it because plenty of women <laughs> like woodworking. Um, I don't know why I went there. I think it's because we're actually putting together a woodworking kit for Max for Christmas. That's actually oh, nice. one of his Christmas presents. So I have it in mind that we're trying to assemble like the plans for a couple of things for him and all the things he's going to need to do it because Max being our, our um, 15 year old, he is definitely a cerebral kid, like always thinking and working with his mind reading. And mm -hmm. he has started to find that he loves the opportunity to use his hands. He's even taking some of these, they call it tech ed now, right? Classes at school. He mm -hmm. is loving mixing up his academic calendar that way and finding that he's even enjoying doing that personally. So there's even an example of how our kids need to apply some of these rest principles and we need to help them do it well. For sure. I, I mean, I picture my boys coming home from school and what they don't need to do is collapse right away and watch TV or play a video game. They actually need to go outside and throw a football. And that is restful because they, they've spent the day using their mind and switching into the physical is a, a really good thing. Um, I think about a few years ago, so you went to that project place since I can't craft or woodwork, I'll hit the middle road here, um, is that, you know, I'm, I'm a mind person too. And so I had a week off that I wasn't leaving town, which was unusual. So I was trying to be intentional about this idea. This was one of these rare moments I can point to that I did this and I, I painted an accent wall in the kitchen. And it was incredibly restful for me. And on the surface, you might look at that and go, oh my goodness, you had a week off and you painted and tore your house up. But I also think that a lot of people resonate with that idea of going, yes, but it allowed me to do something different in the same way that I would say, um, we talk, you and I both talk about exercise and the role that plays in our lives. And as much as exercise is physically strenuous, I would argue that it's one of the most restful things that I do from a holistic and mental standpoint because it takes me out of the the planning and the projecting and the strategizing and lets me focus my energy on doing something. 
I, which I think is a great idea. So I love this and how far we've gotten into the concept of being intentional about rest. So again, not everybody has the luxury, but I know a lot of our listeners probably have a couple of days off here surrounding the Christmas season. Um, whether it's because you've hoarded vacation time, like I do for this time of year, I am non-apologetic that I hoard my vacation time, or maybe um, your business itself even shuts down for a few days, whatever the case may be. I know a lot of our listeners do have a few days here. Our encouragement and our challenge to you is to not just let those days disappear passively, but to actually make some active choices about the kind of rest that will be good for you and your family in order to get the best bang for your buck out of that time. Mm -hmm. I also want to use this opportunity, Jen, if you don't mind, to quickly reflect on something that Adam Grant posted on Instagram. I think it was Instagram, not Twitter, just the mm -hmm. other day, um, because I think it's a good reflection for all of us as leaders. So he was actually addressing this rest um, concept that a lot of organizations have. I find myself saying it all the time, right? Telling my folks, you need to find a way to get some good rest and regroup and, and recharge here over the holidays. And he put something online the other day that essentially said a healthy organization doesn't leave people drained if you have this issue, you actually have a burnout problem. Um, and I would encourage folks to go look at the commentary that he placed around that. If you go look at Adam Grant on Instagram, you should be following him if you are not. So go take care <laughs> of that business right now. And I think that's a really good reflection for all of us. And that's why I wanna draw attention to it. While it's so important and keep encouraging your people to get rest, I think as you're also doing the mental, how would I like to do things differently next year as a leader? I think this is a really good chance to think about the fact, how can I do things differently so that my team is getting rest throughout the year? Are we creating a burnout problem in our organization that requires this level of rest, right? Have mm -hmm. I created a burnout problem for myself? Is it self-induced that I need to reflect on so I'm not in this position again? in the future. I think it's a really good time to be thinking about that and really naming your stressors, naming your opportunities to address burnout before you even get to it. I think that's huge. And again, we all know, like, let's talk about the finish line we're actually at. Everyone listening right now, including you and me, Laura, we can name whether we are running into the end of the year on empty or, and are going to get to use our rest time to like, truly refuel or if we're, we're collapsing and we're, you know, everything we just talked about and with that whole rest thing isn't even on the table because we're so burnt out at the end of the year. And so I think what you're saying and where Adam Grant's post went that stood out to both of us, I mean, it jumped off the page to both of us because I think we see this all the time of, you know, if, if you, if you're so desperate for that week off, you've got an organizational issue that you need to deal with because rest should be leading in. So back to this whole finish and start, rest should be the piece that that propels the start, not allows you to survive the finish. And so I, I do wanna point us to the fact that we're gonna talk about this as we start the new year. And hopefully it's a book that everybody is already picking up to read as we finish the new year. I think the timing is gonna be really excellent but with doing Carrie Newhoff's new book on how we set the times, because one of the things he says so well in his work on high capacity leadership and all kinds of things, he's been saying it for years, but this is where he goes in the book, is that the problem is not 
how we um, rest and get away. It's how we set a tone and a culture and a pattern and all of those things for how we work that enables us to function at our best, which really is the name of the book at your best. Yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. When you said, I'm like, and she used the title, you big nerd. <laughs> Um, good. So last minute reminders, listen, Amazon, I know not everybody loves Amazon, but they will still deliver that book title within a couple of days. So if you have a leader that you're still trying to figure out what to get for them, or if you have folks still asking what you might need, go out and click on this particular book and join us and read it. We will be discussing that book on our January 4th episode, right out of the gate in the new year. Super excited about it. Okay, Jen, this has been a great conversation specifically about intentional rest and making sure that we are managing burnout so that we can all be high capacity leaders. Thanks for your insight. And we'll look forward to talking to everybody again in a few weeks for our annual year in review, which I always in particular look forward to. Um, stay tuned for Memory Lane. As we head down Memory Lane, we are heading into one of our favorite Christmas memories from our childhood. And it was the fact that our Uncle Jim would I was gonna say steal us or kidnap us, but that doesn't feel like the language we should use. He, he cleared the way with his sisters, our moms. Um, for our cousins, he would collect all of us one day in December and he would take us to do something really incredibly fun. It was different every year, but after whatever fun activity or movie or whatever we did, he had a really special tradition that he lived out and then also passed along to us. So Uncle Jim was really good at the whole concept of giving to others um, and being generous with that which you have. And one of the things that he instilled upon us often after breakfast with Santa, which was a really cool thing, and I think a good thing to combine with this or going to these movies, um, was doing something intentional that gave to others. So Uncle Jim would take us somewhere to make a donation, would help us get in contact with families that needed gifts for Christmas, whatever the case may be, and quite frankly, helped bankroll that to help build that habit in our in us over the years, um, and was just incredible in, in instilling in us that do unto others and that generosity that is so important um, for us to live out in our lives. There's a couple really specific things that that stand out for me um, when I think about what Uncle Jim did in this realm. So one of them, I just came to understand Jen in literally the last couple of weeks. So when we were kids, I have a very distinct memory. You might be too young, Jen, but it was at the point in time where microwave ovens had become very accessible and popular. Most people had them. We did not have one yet. Um, and one day, a microwave oven anonymously appeared on our front porch. Honest to God, I don't know how, Jen, but I did not know until very recently that that came from Uncle Jim. I did. The anonymous donor. I always thought it was somebody in the church that had left it for us. It came up over dinner just the other week and mom clarified for me um, that it actually was Uncle Jim that had left that for us. So a really special example of just the little things he would do. And that was not tied to a holiday. It was a recognized need and a spirit of generosity that he was applying. The other thing that I have to note is the way in which he did not let anything stop him from carrying this on. So our Uncle Jim did pass away this 
year, um, but up to the year he passed. He actually made a point on Thanksgiving of gathering the next generation. So that would be like my kids and our cousin's kids. He would gather them in the living room and he would read them a story and invite them into this spirit of generosity. And again, God bless him, he would do a little bankrolling to help them get started and encourage them to let him know what they did in order to um, provide in order to provide for someone else. So I think it's a beautiful legacy that our Uncle Jim has left for all of us through this. And on this memory lane, we'd like to encourage all of you to do the same and to consider a way that you can leave a legacy of giving and loving others with generations to come. All right, well, that's a wrap or better said, it's a finish that's going to lead us into the next conversation in a couple of weeks. Don't forget to pick up a copy of At Your Best by Carrie Newhoff. But thanks so much for listening today. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. If you have a way you're getting ready to rest intentionally, share it with us. Let us know on social media. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you.